0: Good Monday morning. It it disturbs me how easy it is to make people believe terrible things. Terrible things about other people. Tell terrible things about God. Terrible things about um, your neighbors. Terrible things about what somebody is allowed to do with you. I've been listening to a lot of podcasts. That's kind of how I spend my time. I'm working about the house or some driving uh, somewhere. And there is a, an amazing podcast called The Year of Polygamy where a young woman who's an amazing historian traces the doctrine of plural marriage in the Mormon church. She is a Mormon and she traces it and looks at the different wives and tells their stories. And it is stunning how many times somebody just listens to this guy and he tells them, well, God told me and and if I don't do this, there was an angel standing in front of me with a sword and he would strike me dead if you don't give me your wife. And how many times this worked, many times. We're talking people that had more than two and three and four dozen wives. It was predatory. It's also a sign of what the world was like for women back in the 1800s and all of these things should make us cry and tear our clothes and sit in ashes. It's just horrid. But then I realized this is something I need to learn from. As I watched uh, Leah Remini's aftermath about Scientology, as I watched the special series that she and Mike rendered dead on Jehovah's Witnesses and others, I began to realize there are a lot of parallels here with what we are taught and how easy it is for us to just fall in and say the same thing. So this is the first of a several part series and it's going to really stretch some of you, which is should be a good thing, but it's also a terrifying thing and I get that. And so you can always fire off questions at, our, at patrick at oursafeharbor.com And when I can get to them, I will. And I almost always get to all the emails. If you've ever emailed me and I didn't respond, please email me again somewhere I dropped the ball. I failed and I'd like to get back to you. All right, give me another go. We have taught most of us in our Christian years that there is a place, a place called hell. And that if you do not obey the Lord Jesus Christ. If you do not believe that he is the Son of God, and that if you do not do, and, and then we're gonna go farther. For many Christians, it was just that. If you if you don't believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and you know, bow toward him, they'll take it much, much further. And if you don't believe what we believe, our entire set of doctrines about how churches are organized, how to pray to God, how to remember him with the Lord's Supper, or don't do that, and how you are to sing and who you're allowed to be with and what about marriage and divorce and dancing and playing cards and going to the movies, which is a huge thing for the last 100 years, not so much anymore, on and on and on. You have to also ascribe to all of these things. And if you don't do it extremely well, then you might think you're going to heaven, but when you die, you will be cast into this lake of fire that uh, there's, it's dark fire, so it's outer darkness, there's weeping, there's gnashing of teeth, you will burn and be in an eternal torture pit. In fact, I can remember the preachers and in, uh, in my churches as I was growing up. And i am certainly got these illustrations from other people, but they would talk about how many times a, uh, a hummingbird flaps its wings per second. And I don't know they would say, now, imagine the world were made of complete, just sand. And the hummingbird now has to transfer one grain at a time, all of the earth to the moon. And they'd go through the distances and they'd go through all of this, but he only flaps, the hummingbird's wings only flap once every thousand years. By the time it got the earth to the moon, it wouldn't even be one second in eternity, and you're still there burning. Or they would say, imagine that the world is made completely out of steel, and you set an ant upon the equator, and that ant begins then to um, circumnavigate the globe at the, equ- at the equator. By the time that ant had gone around the equator long, so many times, that it had, worn a groove in the earth that split it into two equal halves. That wouldn't even be a second in eternity, and you're still going to be there burning because God loves you. How much damage have we done to the the character and the reputation of God? Now. If somebody would have said that to me as I was a young man, I would have said, it's not up to us to judge a righteous God. If he does it, therefore it's righteous. And there's a bit of um, seeming humility and obedience to God and faith in in those statements. I get that and I would never mock anybody who responds in that way. But I would ask you to take another thought. What if we're wrong? Who told you what hell was? And who told them? And who told them? You might find out that we get a a huge amount of the pictures of hell, not from Scripture at all, but from Plato, from Aristotle, mainly Plato. Long before Jesus was born, they spoke of Hades as a place that was dark and sulfurous and you wandered about in the heat and the fire mourning forever. But to them, they thought that's where all people went when you died, that it was just a horrible place and they had no hope of a resurrection. They didn't have a concept of a heaven. Uh, those were would eventually be woven in by other pagan philosophers and ideas and um, competitive religions even in the early church it wasn't taught that the vast majority of people were going to go to hell not until after augustine then things began to change rapidly augustine basically says you don't follow that at that time the catholic church Um, and they weren't split in augustine's time so it was it was all of them Uh, You would go to hell forever because the bible says forever you might even be thinking but the bible does say forever it even says we're going to go be with god forever and the lost are going to be gone and burning forever it does but what we did is we grabbed those definitions not us i mean we're perfectly innocent Uh, mainly the people in the medieval and the early late dark ages um, uh, the early part of the late Dark Ages, they they took these other pagan ideas that were still in society, still in our heads, and they then married them to words in Scripture and pictures in Scripture. The question is, who told them that's the way to use these words? Let me ask you a question. What? How would a person and let's just say, Isaiah's day, uh, how would they, uh, what, what was their word for a billion? That's a trick question. They didn't have one. They would say a thousand to mean this, a huge number. And sometimes you would have thousands and thousands, which meant, oh, it's so big, ever so big. And then rarely, and in scripture look for it, very rarely you will see something like 10,000 times 10,000. And that to them was just an imaginary number because it was just too large to be a real number. Why? Because they had no need of of a word that meant millions, billions, trillions. They had no need of these things. There are many languages and dialects around the world, even today, that when you count, don't go up very far because after 10 in some languages, after 30 and some other languages, you really don't need that number because there is nothing you're going to be talking about where you can refer to anything bigger than 10 or 30. I've got 30 cows and you could say 30 cows in abundance and everybody would know, okay, more more than 30, but there's no word for that. When the Bible talks about the word forever, we, in our language, and in most modern languages, have a real pretty good grasp on what forever means. It it means without end. It will continue. Doesn't mean something has ended forever. It means that it will be continuing forever. At least that's the way we look at it. But then, if you look at Bible words that are translated forever, you find that um, it didn't mean that to them. In the King James Version, you'll find it 54 times. The New King James Version uses the word forever uh, only 32 times. And I grew up in my, my tribe. The favored translation was the American Standard, not the New American Standard that wasn't around yet, but the American Standard Version of 1901 and it only used it at 13 times in a whole New Testament. The NIV uses it 14 times. Once you leave these more literal mainstream translations, you'll find that the word hell disappears. And there are some who've even written books on the tragedy of the word hell disappearing. Problem is, the word hell and the word eternal, and they meant something different back then. And if you, ask who told you about and who told you about and you get back to somebody in Isaiah's day, Ezekiel's day and and in Job's day. And Job had no concept of the afterlife that was consistent. He was in and out of that thing. Um, and, and there are, there's, there is a jumble of thoughts about the afterlife in scripture. If we're being honest and we have to be, this is a, who told you about. Hell is disappearing from the Bible because the word we've been translating hell doesn't really work right. We'll get into that. And not only is the word hell, we're also changing our concept of what God plans for those who reject him. Be very careful, Dr. Campbell Morgan said, when you use the word eternity, quote, We have fallen into great error in our constant use of that word. There is no word in the whole book of God corresponding with our word eternal, which is commonly used among us, means absolutely without end. That is Dr. G. Campbell Morgan out of his book, God's Method with Men. That's not a modern book, uh, not a recent book. The fact is, we used to know this. It really got stripped away from our churches. And when I say our churches, I'm not talking about the one, (coughs) excuse me, necessarily, in which I grew up. I'm talking about uh, evangelical churches, and here's the big giveaway, fundamentalist churches. It really kicked off in the early 1900s. And by the time we hit the 1940s and 50s, it became so mainstream, people assumed it had always been taught. They didn't ask who told them and who told them and who told them. We normally run to passages that say forever and eternal or without end whenever we talk about the torments of hell. But is is that fair? Is that biblical? Or is that merely traditional, perhaps based upon the translation of manuscripts by long-dead scholars who did not have the oldest manuscripts, which have been found long since they passed, or they didn't have the ability to cross-examine by using other text. You need to know what I mean by this. We uh, We have quite a few ancient texts of Scripture. Very few are complete by any stretch of the imagination. We have a lot of fragments, a lot of pieces, Um, And to say that we believe that the original manuscripts were completely without error is a statement of faith that the Bible never asks you to make, ever. Uh, That is just saying, well, I believe it because I believe it, because there's nobody asks you to believe that. However, we have all of these scraps, but you might not realize how much ancient literature we have. I was in a British museum as a teenager. If you've never been to uh, the British Isles, go. As soon as COVID restrictions allow, go. And one, of the, if you're a history nerd like I am, I'm not a historian, I'm a, I'm a scientist, but I love history. You will go to the British Museum. It is free and you will stay there for a week and not see it all. It is amazing. Well, I can remember walking into several rooms. I was being escorted. I'm not an expert that would be given secret access. Anybody can enter rooms at certain times. They close and open as they wish. And these places were piled with manuscripts. I didn't try to do a rough count, but I would say probably thousands in this one room rolled up and shelved papyrus. And I said, what are all these about? And the the docent leading the the group said, we don't know. Um, They're basically just accounting and day-to-by-day measurings and such like this and censuses and I said "But they have been translated he goes oh no and probably never will be and that just shocked me it outraged me a bit it um it scandalized me I'm going but but what there might be amazing things in here he said well we do have scholars we don't have enough scholars but we do have scholars and they go and they pick among all of these rooms. I found out there were many, many, many rooms of these. And then when they go through them, they take at random and everyone they pull out are long, repetitive prayers to long forgotten gods. They are accounting, that's a ton of the literature we had. So-and-so bought three of these and sold to so-and-so and and the tax was paid to so-and-so and here's a prayer to our long forgotten God. That's the vast majority of what they find other things they find are <clears throat> really of no more interest than that you know my this is me and my land goes to this corner of this river and this neighbor and I agree <clears throat> dead boring in other words but there is a value here in all of these I'm I don't I really can't use the word millions because I have no idea how many of these things are stacked up he took us into rooms where they were not scrolls and papyri but rather they were uh, or a vellum and the like they were uh, made in clay tablets and it just boggles the mind to see how many are there but there is a huge benefit in the scholars translating what they can when they can we can cross-examine all of these materials and see what words really meant because we have to guess it a lot an illustration of this would, I would just say, please uh, go to Bible Gateway on, 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 their, on the web or, or whatever Bible app you've got and read the book of Job, four or five different versions. And you'll find they read different because the Hebrew in there is so old, a lot of the words we're guessing at. Well, when you get more and more manuscripts, you can interrogate them and find out what the words more likely mean. It's one of the reasons why hell is disappearing from our Bibles from 54 times in the New Testament in the King James to um, 14 times in the NIV. Is this somehow we're trying to hide the doctrine of hell? No, we're trying to translate scripture more accurately. And the same with the word eternal. I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna take a look. We've been going for 18 minutes. I'm going to ask you to hold your fire for a little bit. Sorry, holding your fire, talking about hell. That just hit me. Sorry. Next week, we're going to take a look at the word eternal. What did that word mean back then? Remember, they didn't have words. For a lot of things, we have words for. But a lot of things they had words for, that doesn't mean what that word, that that word doesn't mean today, what it meant then. And eternal is one of those words. I'm going to record several of these in a row. So if you see the same shirt and background, that's why. We'll talk about more of this next week. Cheers.